0: We, uh, we're going to dive right in, right? Our, our Holy Scripture, the Bible that we have, is divided into two parts. And the Western church tends to spend a great deal of time in the New Testament, which is ironically a much smaller, physically smaller piece of the Bible. Um, and we do our best to make sure that we get into the Old Testament and we explain where things come from. But I wanted us to take... Um, A longer look and and help us get a better view of what the Old Testament is, how the Bible is actually one story, and it all it all points to it all points to Jesus. So when we think about the Old Testament, right, we can think of it in terms of um, the chronicles of of God's um, design, purposes, plans, promises, desires for His people, right, for His people, and that that starts with God bringing. Uh, Light and order out of chaos and darkness. And from that light and order, he brings um, systems and processes and environments and, and life. He brings life out of that, all kinds of life and insect and fish and plant and animal and ultimately humanity. And so the Old Testament chronicles God's interactions with, it starts with one man and then one couple and then one family and then one nation and God expresses over and over and over again His desire and His promises to and His His hopes and His plans for humanity, for His His people. And time and time again, people say, "Thanks, that sounds good, but we're gonna we're gonna try it this way over here." And um, but still, God pursues His people. He still pursues them. Um, he brings them these promises, right? And He wants them to live within these promises, within the blessing and the peace that comes with the relationship with him. And he also, each time he gives a promise, he gives a a warning or a description of what life outside of that promise would look like and the dangers that are there and how people move outside of God's protection when they choose, when we choose, to go our own way. So um, I just kind of summarized what God directed the biblical authors to write in 39 different books, 929 chapters, something like that, um, written over the course of a 1,000 years. And it was first compiled into one collection in the 2nd or 3rd century B.C. That's the Bible that Jesus had. That's the Bible that the people who wrote the New Testament had. And we are going to take a look at it through the lens of some of its primary characters. And these these people... um, who continue to choose to go their own way, and God continues to pursue them. That's why we've called this series um, Broken People on Un- Unbreakable Grace." And we're gonna uh, we're gonna dive in right right at the beginning. If you're familiar with the Bible, you have a church background, you know that the very first chapters are kind of the uh, not kind of they are, the the creation narratives. and I'm not going to we're not going to dive into the many different like, I think there's at least 10, probably more viable different theories about how God brought creation into existence. Um, but I think for our purposes, equally important as, as how God brought creation into existence, is what he brought into existence and why he did that. All right. So we're gonna we're gonna start with Adam and Eve, right? The very the very first people. And my hope and my prayer is that as we look at um, their interactions with God and we look at kind of some the selected passages out of the first three chapters of Genesis, that you would walk away with this thought that you are worth more than you could possibly imagine. And I want to be really careful to define something here. That you is, yes, you sitting right there, you in that chair. You is also the person sitting next to you. You is also the... Person who sleeps down the hall from you or maybe went to bed angry at you last night and swore they would never speak to you again because they're 15 years old and that's what they do at 15. Um, Or that's what I did when I was 15. I'm not going to lump anybody else in there. but um, It's the person who cuts you off in traffic on the way to work on Friday. It's the person at the grocery store who looks at you funny if you're wearing a mask or who looks at you funny if you're not wearing a mask. It's the person who sits on the other side of the political aisle from you As the person who lives on the other side of the world from us. You, we could just insert the word humanity in there. In God's eyes, humanity is worth more than we could possibly, possibly imagine. And so I'm going to unpack this idea. We're going to start with um, just two verses, three verses, two verses. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So the first thing that I want us to realize is that our worth, our worth comes from our creator, from who our creator is. But I want you to just think about this, kind of a, a silly little analogy, but um, when I was, I don't know, second or third grade, we had an art project. We had to sculpt something. So I had this idea that I would sculpt a uh, hollowed out Hershey Kiss, and it would be like a candy jar to put other Hershey Kisses in it. Um, I am not an artist. I've never had an artistic bone in my body. It ended up looking like what we would now gets used as an unfortunate, distasteful emoji, right? That's kind of <laughs> what that was. That's right so that's the sculpture that comes from somebody like me versus a sculpture that comes from somebody like Michelangelo or uh, any other of the a, a great a great artist right our worth comes from our creator and th- i put up two specific words that we gain from the first chapter of genesis right our creator god is eternal the concept of eternity is like mind blowing i don't know if you've ever tried to wrap your brain around what, what eternity is or, or a God who kind of exists outside of time. There was never a time when he didn't exist, right? He is the uncaused cause of everything that, that we know. But the thing of it is, I think the concept of eternity might be a little bit easier to grasp than the other word triune, the fact that our God is one, yet he exists in three people. I was having a conversation with a friend at breakfast yesterday about just like the trying to get our brains around what what this means that God exists in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, and scholars tell us that within the first three chapters, we see references to each member of the Trinity. And that that verse that I read for you um, said, "Let us make mankind in our image." Right? That it's plural. Let us make mankind in our image. Genesis. Chapter 1, verse 2, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Chapter 1, verse 3, God the Father was doing his creative thing. And then we jump ahead to chapter 3, and scholars tell us there's a reference to Jesus in there, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes. But in those very first chapters, we see the idea of God being eternal, and we see the idea of him being three in one. He exists in this way that we cannot even fathom. It's just this mind-blowing, mind-blowing existence. the next part of, of who God is, right, is He is the inventor and arbiter of goodness. I had to go and make sure that was a real word. It felt like a, a word when I typed it in there, and it, it is. I looked it up. Um, but He defines who goodness In the first chapter, we see this phrase over and over again God saw it, and it was very good. It was good six times and very good once. Um, he is the only one who can define what is good versus what is evil. It's, he is the source of it. He defines it, and he judges what is good and what is evil. At the, at the pinnacle, right, when God is done creating, at the pinnacle, he, he stops and he, he says, it was very good. And that was after he created humanity. After humanity was born and everything else was in place, God said, it was very good. Unlike any other, anything else that God created, humanity is created in his image. So much of our worth, so much of the things that we try to earn or the things that we try to pretty ourselves up to, to give a better image. We have this amazing image. We're born with this amazing image before we do a single thing, and that's the, the image of God. That brings us to the second piece of where our worth comes from. Our worth comes from our God-given purpose, right? Part of our God-given purpose is to reflect God. Sometimes the church word that gets thrown around is there. we're image bearers. We are image bearers. That means that when people look at each other, when people look at us, they're supposed to catch a glimpse of God. They're supposed to see who God is. That's why we talk about the importance of being close to God, right? Because if, if we want to reflect him and we're too far away from him, that image that we're reflecting is gonna be blurry or it's gonna be obscured or worst case, it's gonna um, be perceived as something different all altogether, right? So part of our worth comes from our God-given purpose in that we are created to reflect God. The other thing that we're created to do is to share in his work, One verse from um, chapter 1 and one verse from chapter 2. God blessed them, talking about Adam and Eve, man and woman, blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. We were created to share in his work. I have such vivid memories of being a little kid, and my dad taking me to the office with him. Like it was usually on a, on a Saturday morning, and work had piled up, so he, he had to do some catching up. So he brought me. I loved going to the office with my dad. Right? I loved being with him. I loved getting to see what he did. I didn't understand what he did. I had no idea what he did. Um, but you know, he would set me up at somebody's desk, and like I loved the stupid Manila folders and a big desk calendar and a. Like the old school phones that had the buttons on them that like with all the different different lines. I loved everything about being there. And as I look back on it, I didn't realize it then, but being with him and in my own little, you know, seven-year-old way, doing what he did, I got to know him better. I felt like I knew him better by sharing in his work. The God of the Bible invites us, invites humanity into his work with him. And this is where my analogy kind of starts to fall apart a little bit. When I went to the office with my dad, I was not customer-facing. I did not chase down any leads. I didn't sign anything. I didn't build anything. I didn't actually do anything. God is actually inviting us into his work with him. right? He wants us to join in what he was doing, continue what he's doing, creatively building and growing a world and relationships that glorify him. And that's not just sitting in a place like this and singing songs and listening to somebody teach. That's like if you sell, if you care for people, if you build things, if you invent things, if you, um, if you help grow, all of that is part of God's creative mandate. It's what he invites us into. That's what we were created for. That's a big part of where our worth comes from, right? So, our worth um, comes from who He created us and this perfect, unbelievable God um, in His existence, unbelievable. Our, and our worth comes from this, this purpose that he's, that he's given us. Our worth comes from the cost that someone is willing to absorb to secure our good. Said more simply, and maybe a little bit more crassly, what is someone willing to pay for you? So God creates humanity, he creates Adam and Eve, and he, he puts them in this garden, he, um, he is pleased with what he's created in them, and he wants them to share in his goodness, and he's just surrounded them with everything that they could possibly want to have this amazing, amazing existence And primarily is that relationship with with him, that relationship with him. Within that, right, I started by saying all the things that God created, and he created systems and processes, and he created order. And part of that order is he is the only source of definitions of good. That's his job, right, not our job. Hi, guys. Come on in. Um, he is the only one who can do that. He's, man was never intended to share that power with him. We are created to be like God in his, in his image. We are not created to be God. Here's how God specified what that would look like. Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So um, Adam and Eve had a choice. They had a choice to do things the way that this amazing, unbelievable God set out for them, to do it his way. Or they could choose to do it their own way. And kind of famously or or infamously, Evil rears its ugly head in the form of a serpent. And we read this in chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Which God didn't say. She kind of added that in. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. They fell for it. There was enough truth in there mixed up with the lies to get them to act upon it. They ate from that tree, which they weren't supposed to. And the tragic irony of this is, right, the serpent tempts them with you will be like God. They were already like God. They were created in His likeness and in His image. But for some reason, in this beautiful paradise-like setting, with everything around them, with the relationship they had with each other, with the relationship they had with God, they still wanted to do things their own their own way. Sometimes that um, that act of Adam and Eve eating of that fruit is referred to as original sin. Uh, Theologian J.I. Packer had this to say, original sin was a lust after self-sufficient knowledge, a craving to shake off all external authority and work things out for himself, referring to, to humanity. Adam and Eve then, and us now, we have so badly damaged the image of God that is in us. We do it to ourselves, and we do it to other people because we wanted to define what was good for ourselves. We put aside the order that God had prescribed and we stepped outside of that promise and we wanted to define good for ourselves. And here's the, here's the, I don't know if interesting is the right word, sad thing, whatever. Um, we're not very good at defining good, right? We have this image of God that's still in us, this likeness, so we have this creative drive, we have these abilities, we have this intelligence to do things. But then we also have this thing, call it sin, right, that's what it is, this desire to do things our own way. So we invent and we discover and we create, hey, here's an atom, right? We can do stuff to that and we can create power, we can create nuclear power. We can also create a bomb that would, we could destroy our planet with Right, we we can come up with something like the internet, which gives us streaming church services and and Bibles of every translation and all kinds of commentaries right right in our pocket. And at the same time, it gives us access to pornography in our pocket all day, every day. And it turns us into little terrible keyboard vigilantes. We're not very good at defining good outside of God. That's God's job. And so there are consequences to this decision that Adam and Eve make, that we make. And in, um, in addressing the serpent, God says this. So this is kind of the, the bad news, but it begins to lead us into the good news. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. So evil is going to be this horrific, tragic thing that plagues humanity and makes us do terrible things to ourselves and to each other and to our relationship with God. However, God also lets it be known, and this was the reference to Jesus that I was talking about, that scholars tell us that the offspring right, who's going to crush the head of the serpent, who's going to crush evil, is Jesus. When Jesus went to the cross, when he died on the cross, he did that as punishment for the choice that was made for us, for Adam and Eve, to define good and evil on our own terms. And when he he did that, he offers the opportunity for us to restore that image of God that is in us, to restore that relationship with God, to restore that relationship with each other. So when we come to a point and we're able to say, you know what, God, you're better at this whole being God thing than I am. I'm going to let you define good. I'm going to let... I want to do things your way. Doing things my way hurts. Sometimes it feels good for a little bit, but in the end, it hurts, and it separates me from you, and it separates me from people. We get to a point where we can admit that, and we can, we can accept that Jesus' death is more than sufficient payment for the damage that we've done to God's image in us, and we commit ourselves to Him. That image in us can be restored. Jesus is God Himself. Listen to this. I love this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible, Colossians 1, 15 through 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have be- been created through him and for him. Right? Jesus was there at the beginning when everything was being made. He was part of it. It's all being held together in him. He is before all things. He's eternal. Right? And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead. He he took death on. He was to crush evil. He himself was crushed by evil. He was the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. The image of God in us is restored by and through Jesus, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And then a little bit later in Colossians, we have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Did you guys hear that? The the cost that Jesus was willing to absorb to secure my good and your good was his life. His eternal existence, his perfect existence, his beautiful triune existence, he was willing to sacrifice for you and for me and for humanity so that we might continue, that God might, that plan of God's for us to live with him in relationship, continuing his work. That's what we are worth. He gives us that opportunity to make that choice. The, um, when I first started thinking about Adam and Eve, and I, I read 26 and 27 of chapter 1, I was just struck by this idea that there are these two forces in our lives, right? There's God's love for us, God's grace, God's desire for us to be with us and to protect us and to know how much we are worth. And then there's this desire to do our own thing, right? To decide for ourselves what's good and what's not good. And that's the, that's the biblical narrative, right? It's the, it's the conflict, it's the tension of those two things throughout time that drives the biblical narrative. It's what happens in our lives day in and day out. The pain we experience in life is the result of us or somebody else Wanting to define good on our terms, wanting to do things our way and leaving God's way behind. You guys, it is it is my hope and my prayer that as 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 we move through this, that this conversation around our worth, your worth, that it would cause you to stop and think. And I want to leave you with, with two questions. What does knowing your worth do to the way you think about God? Maybe it's his existence. Maybe it's some preconceived notions you had about the way he acts. Maybe it's uh, some other thoughts that are either being disproven or positively confirmed for you. Um, The way you think about yourself, right? Maybe there's some correction in, in what you feel like you have to do to prove your worth, to earn your worth, to show somebody that you're worth their time. God says differently that you're born with worth, he says that you were worth dying for. He says you're, you have a purpose. I want you to be in relationship with me. Or what about with other people? Man, especially in our climate when people are so mad at each other and there's so much just venom for each other for silly reasons. Maybe it would cause you to think differently. So how should or could knowing your worth impact the way you treat God? Impact the way you treat yourself? How might it impact the way that you treat others? So as we move through the study of the Old Testament, we're going to continue to see flawed people trying to do things their own way, and yet God continues to work this plan through these flawed people This plan that will end with God and man living together through the power of Jesus, through what Jesus did on the cross, through his resurrection, when we come to him and say, yeah, I want to be a part of that. Thank you for the way you created me. Thank you for the way you created everything and our part in it. That's our hope and our prayer for the next chunk of time as we look at the Old Testament and that you might see it in a new um, and hopefully richer, fuller way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, so much that you are on every page of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. We thank you that you reveal yourself. Um, We thank you that you created us on purpose, that you created us with a purpose. We thank you for this unbreakable grace, this amazing love that you have for us, that is capable of restoring even the most damaged image of you and somebody like me God we thank you would would you use our time together this morning God to reshape the way we think to reshape the way we act, the way we treat you, the way we treat ourselves, the way we treat others? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness, we thank you for your work on our behalf. We thank you that you invite us into your work. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.